Well, as most of you know, uh, we are, me and my wife are about to head to Ireland this, this Wednesday. And it's getting, uh, it's getting pretty real. Um, there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of uh, probably anxiety, which we're not supposed to hold on to. But, um, but, but there is a sense of, of a reality to it that, that quite possibly God could be sending us there. And with that being said, it's amazing how fast your mind starts working. You can think of all the good things, and then all of the things that seem like obstacles that you cannot overcome start entering your mind. For instance, we got on the Internet the other night and was looking at the visas to be able to go over there. After reading all of our options, it seems... Maybe not impossible, but it looks like it might be really tough. If we ever got there, I've already been given a message from some of the people we're going to be staying with that if you do come here, it will be the hardest thing you've ever done. I don't think God even wants to save these people. So the thing I'm trying to get at is this. Anything we go to do for the Lord... It's always going to be with obstacles in front of us. So this morning, I would like to, I would like to, to preach a message on the mission of God this morning. Um, I'm not going to be in the book of Acts. I'm actually going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you want to turn there, I'm going to read this to start with. And then I will get over there and join you in 1 Samuel. I'm going to read this and I'm going to pray And we'll start taking off in the book of Samuel. In Matthew 28, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus, giving instructions to his disciples, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, this morning as I come before you, Lord, I am in so much need of your grace and your power this morning. Lord, I've been running five steps behind all weekend. Lord, this is your word. This is your message. And I pray, God, that you direct it to, to, to those that need to hear it, which I praise everybody. And you'd speak to their hearts, Lord, as well as mine. Lord, we want to praise you and honor you today in the preaching of your word, that you'd be glorified, that Christ would be exalted and your word would be preached. Your will be done, nothing more, nothing less. Amen. Now, if you would... In 1 Samuel chapter 17, this this may sound like a strange chapter to go to when you're dealing with missions, when you're dealing with what is the mission of God. But I'm going to start, and we're going to look at these things, and we're going to look at the what God is showing us, what He's teaching in, and, and what the application is. So if we begin in, in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says, now the Philistines had gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Ezekiah in Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in, the, in battle array to encounter the Philistines. So the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side in the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield carrier also walked before him. 
He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And I hope you're able to get a visual picture of this in your mind this morning. You have this large army of the Philistines and they're embanked on one mountain and there's a valley and then on the other mountain on the other side is Saul and all the armies of Israel. And the Philistines send out a man that depending on how you want to measure a cubit, probably at the minimum he was nine feet tall and at probably the maximum he was around 11 feet tall. Any way you want to look at that man, he was a giant. And he would come out and he would challenge. You send a man out to fight with me. If he defeats me, we'll be your servants. But if I defeat him, you'll be our servants. And Saul and all of the armies of Israel, they drew back in fear. What we see is we see a what would what would appear to be an, an unbeatable foe. Someone that there's no way. I mean, think about it. First of all, he's a giant. Later in the, in the scripture, we're going to read that he wasn't just a man of war, but he was a man of war from his youth. Not only that, but he was decked out in full armor and even had someone who carried his shield in front of him. I mean, this would be like, like Jericho. It would have been an impenetrable force. There's no way that anybody could probably beat this man. Now, in verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among them. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest... Now the three oldest, they followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at at Bethlehem. And it says, The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days, and he took his stand. Now it says this. It says, Jesse said to to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For for Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So what do we see? We see that this giant of a man named Goliath is coming out and he's challenging Israel 40 days in a row just coming out. Give me someone to fight with and no one steps forward. And then what do we see? We see that David is sent by his father to bring provisions to the army. He says, I want you to go check on your brothers. I want you to go see how the battle is going, and I want you to come, and I want you to report to me. So David rose early in the morning, and he left the flock with the keeper, and he took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him, and He came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. And then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and he ran to the battle line and entered in in order to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, And he spoke these same words, and David heard them. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him, and they were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him 
with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And then he asked a question. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He says, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? And, and actually, I like the New King James and the King James better on this. It, it actually says, is there not a cause? And then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. So what we see in this passage is this. David's there. The giant, the champion of the Philistines, come forward. He issues the challenge. He's already been told what would happen to the man that defeats this man. That Saul would give him his daughter. He would be free from paying taxes and, 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 and going to war and all these things. His, his house would be free. But then look at this. His brother comes to him, and he basically condescends. He says, well, why are you here? Who have you left those few sheep with? I know what you're like. You just like to stir things up. And David says, is there not a cause? I'm just asking a question. Is there not a cause? There's, there's this man coming out. David's not seeing the giant. He's seeing an uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the living God. And we pick up in 31, and it says, When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. He said, Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, Listen to this. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. He says, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, he says, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine and Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Now, do you see what just happened with David? All of the armies, all of the trained men in Israel, including King Saul, who was head and shoulders above any other man in Israel, none would go out and face this giant. But when David comes down to the battle, what he sees is he sees a man coming out and taunting and defying God himself. He is defying God's army. And David says, your servant will go. And then what does he tell him? You're not able to go. You're just a youth. And we'll get back to that later. He's a man of war from his youth. And then David tells of a time that a bear came out and he killed the bear. And when the lion came out, he killed the lion with his bare hands. And he said, And the Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me out of the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. The second time he's called him that, 
Do you know why he's calling him that? Because the Philistines were not the covenant people of God. God makes covenants and he keeps covenant with his people. David was a covenant member of the family of God. And he is trusting in God. So let's go on. It says in verse 38, Then Saul clothed David with his garments, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He clothed him with armor, and David girded his sword, talking about Saul's sword, over his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. Basically, what you're getting is a picture of Saul, who is a giant of a man in Israel, nothing to be compared to Goliath, but he's much larger than David. And Saul says, Go and the Lord may be, may, you know, may the Lord be with you. Talk about a coward. And he says, oh, here's what I'll do. I'll give you my armor. And it was way too big. Basically, David couldn't even walk with this armor. He wasn't trained with these things. And David says this. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. If you think... If you think the battle of the Lord is fought the way that men fight wars, you are completely wrong on your thinking. Now, if you're looking at this battle, you want to you be armored up. You want to have every kind of protection you can. But David says, I can't use these. I haven't tested them. And then it says, he took, in his, he took his stick in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. So he takes his shepherd's stick he, he rakes in these five stones, and he puts them in his shepherd bag, which he had in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Can you picture this? You've got, you've got a youth. He's probably in his late teens, I'm guessing. I don't really know, but somewhere in that area, he has no armor on. He has a bag slung over his shoulder. He has five rocks in it. And he has his sling. And he approaches to where the Philistine is waiting. And the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and he saw David, now he's wanting a fight. And when he looks up and all he sees is a shepherd boy, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. You know what ruddy is? Kind of a fair-complected person that when they get excited or they run in or whatever, they get them little rosy cheeks. Basically, David was a good-looking, sweet-looking boy. He's the type that at every family reunion... He's going to get his cheeks pinched over and over and over. What I'm saying is he didn't look like a warrior at all. He's not the kind of guy you're going to send into the battle against an unbeatable champion. And so the Philistine said to David in verse 43, he says, am I, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? You got your shepherd's stick. You got some rocks. What am I, a dog? You're going to run off? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. Listen to this. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, did you hear what David just said? He says, I'm going to take your head off. Now, you remember, David doesn't have a sword. He said, I'm going to take your head off today. And he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give you into our hands. And then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and he took a stone and he slung it. And he struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. And David ran and took over the Philistine and, and he took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and he killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. So what we see is we see this picture. The battle's about to start, and David is running to the battle. He grabs a stone out of his bag. He begins to sling it, and the one part on Goliath's body that's not covered up is right here between his eyes. And the Lord directed that stone, and it sunk in his forehead, and he fell to the earth. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they ran. And at that point, all of the armies of Israel and Judah, all of the men of those places, they shouted. And they rose up and they pursued their enemies until they destroyed them. Now, you might be wondering today, Ron, how in the world is this a message on God's mission? Well, that's, that that we just talked about is the, that's the lesser story. Now we're going to go through this and we're going to see the greater story. We're going to, we're going to read about the greater David. You see, we also had an unbeatable foe. It was called sin and death. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, man sinned, and when man sinned, man died. Once man died, he was inherently sinful. Everybody born after Adam and Eve have come into this world born as sinners. You don't become a sinner when you sin. You sin because you're a sinner, because you have a sin nature in you. So we had this, we had this, this unbeatable foe. See, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it was unbeatable. We could not overcome it because you couldn't give enough money. You couldn't do enough works. You could offer no righteousness to ever pay that debt. You were up against an enemy that you could not beat. And then as we look back through this chapter... In, seven, in verse 17, we see that Jesse sends his son David to the battle. But in the bigger picture, we see God the Father sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. You see, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So we see, we're going to see these parallels. We're going to see these pictures all the way through this. The third point is this. In verse 25, the greater David. See, David came and he asked, what, what does a man get if he defeats this enemy? He says, well, you'll get Saul's daughter and you'll, he'll make your father's house free in Israel. But what we see here is the greater David came to what? He came to choose his bride. The bride that has been prepared for him from eternity. And he came that he might set the captives free, not from taxes, but from sin and death. The fourth point is this. You look down in verse 28. It says, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he says, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He said, I know your insolence. I know your wickedness of your heart. What do we see right there? David came down from the father to do what? He came to check on his brothers, right? Well, the greater 
the greater David was rejected by his own. He came into his own, and his own received him not. In, in John 7, 5, it talks about that how even his own brothers, his own brothers, Mary and Joseph's sons, they didn't even believe in him. So what we see is we see this picture of the father sending the son. And I want you to keep in mind as we're reading about David, and, and I should have probably mentioned this earlier, David had prior to this in the chapter before had just been anointed by Samuel as the king. Now, it hadn't taken place yet, but in God's eyes, he was the anointed king. The fifth point is this, verses 32 through 37. As David was Saul's servant, Jesus was God's servant. Isaiah 53, I'll read this. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. He says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. Talking about God the Father. He was pleased to crush him, Jesus, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. He is called the suffering servant. You see, David said, let your servant go and fight. God's servant, the man of sorrows, he came down to fight the real true fight against sin. Sixth point is this. David, a man under the covenant of God... He would fight for God because God keeps his covenant. He was under the covenant of God. The greater David, listen, the greater David is the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. The seventh point is this, verses 38 through 40. David fought with a sling and a stone. Jesus fought this battle with love and obedience and prayer. In verse 42, David was disdained by the enemy because he was young, he was ruddy, and he was handsome. The greater David was despised and forsaken of men, and that would have included you and I. He was rejected by his own, and he was forsaken by his closest friends and betrayed by one of the twelve. Goliath, the ninth point is Goliath cursed David by his gods, but the greater David became a curse for us, dying on a tree under the wrath of God, so that you may be saved. This is not a three-point sermon. Tenth point, verse 45. David came... In the name of the Lord of hosts. But the greater David is the Lord of hosts. The eleventh point, verse 46. God delivered Goliath into his hands so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The greater David prevailed over sin, death, the world, and Satan that his name will be great among the nations. Twelfth point, verses 47 through 51, the battle is the Lord's. And because of this, David prevailed over Goliath. The greater David is the Lord of the battle, and he has prevailed over the enemy. The battle is the Lord's, but our, our king is the Lord of the battle. Thirteenth point. 52 and 53. Now listen. Because David conquered the giant, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, 
and pursued the enemy. Now for us, because the greater David has defeated the enemy, he triumphed over him on the cross. He was put in a tomb and he rose from the dead three days later. Because the greater David has defeated the enemy, we, Christians, we should rise up and shout and go forth not to destroy lives, but proclaiming the good news of salvation so that our enemies, now listen, just as we once were enemies of God, so that our enemies might come to saving faith. You see, when you read the story of David fighting Goliath, it's a battle of mission. Now, here's the part we see right here. The 14th point is this, and this is my conclusion. I don't know, man. This is like the quickest sermon ever. I thought it would take for days to do this one. Here's the conclusion. You look in verses 52 and 53. Once this happened, they, they rose up and they shouted and they pursued the Philistines. This is the mission right here. This is where the, the enemy has been defeated already. But not all the prisoners of war have come home yet. See, this is what the Great Commission is all about. You see, listen, I want you to know this today. We, we are not David, okay? But just as David was a factual, historical man who really fought an, imp- an impossible fight... You see, the picture here is David was a type and a shadow of the greater David. The one that was going to fight the real battle, the the real king, the real anointed one was going to come. And he was really going to do battle with the enemy so that we could rise up and pursue. But in all reality, how do we do this? Is it just that we we now just run out and all of our enemies are just laying down flat? Tell me. Tell me. If God says go to Ireland, tell me how to get there. What weapons am I going to use? Am I going to use bribery? Will I falsify information? How am I going to get there? See, I have to have a church. Recognized by Ireland, with a full-time pastor invite me and say, we're going to pay all of your support. That's what, the, that's what the visa says. My response is, well, that's impossible. Is it impossible? You see, David was really a man who really fought an impossible fight. He was fighting an unbeatable foe. By all looking at it from a natural aspect, there's no way David should have won that fight. And we must go in like manner and fight what would seem to be unbeatable foes, insurmountable odds, impossible tasks, and immovable mountains. What happens when we get there? And it's as dark, spiritually dark as I've been told it is. And I don't have all of you there for comfort, for encouragement, to lift my hands up on a daily basis. It looks impossible again. What do I do then? Listen to this. We fight just like David fought. Let me show you what we do. We'll run back through here again. Just as Jesse sent David and just as God sent Jesus into this world, now Jesus is sending us to go into this world, is he not? He's giving us the provisions we need. He says he's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. All things. Whether we're accessing them or not, I couldn't tell you. But he's given us all things. David asks the question, he says, what will a man get? If he conquers this foe, he says, oh, you'll get a daughter of Saul and you'll get free. 
Well, he's already set us free. And we are that bride that he's coming back for. And what we're doing in the meantime is we are getting ready. And how do we get ready? Well, in one sense, we purify ourselves. We become holy like he's holy. But at the same time, we are going out and proclaiming the gospel, the good news, that others, just like you and I, who were not worthy of salvation, they may come to saving faith in the greater David. That's how this bride readies herself. It isn't in Starbucks. It isn't in having a gymnasium. It isn't in programs. It is in doing the work that God has given us to do. Oh, yeah, guess what? We're going to have those of our own flesh and blood come against us. He says those of your own household will hate you. They'll deliver you up. Father against the son, the mother against the daughter. I mean, he says, you must love me more than these, or you're not worthy of me. And then we can, we can always respond like this when we're questioning, grilled by those that are closest to us fleshly. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to go forth? And then we can be like David in this. As we look at these impossible odds, instead of seeing the impossible odds, let's look at the more than possible God. See, the Jews back in the days when Jesus walked, they thought money, if you had money, you had to be blessed of God. Those guys were getting in. It would have been bad to be one of us back then, wouldn't it? I don't see much money here. And Jesus says, how hard will it be for a rich man to enter in? They were just shocked. They said, well, then who, who, who can enter in? He said, oh, the things that are impossible with men, they're possible with God. So here's David. Let no man's heart fail because of this guy. Your servant will go and fight. I'll go fight, Lord. And you're always going to have those around you. You can't do this. You're just a youth. You can't do this. You don't know enough. You can't do this. You're not this or you're not that. I will tell you this. If God has called you to a certain task, a certain ministry, I want you to know this. No one can do better than you what God has called you to do. Not John MacArthur, not R.C. Sproul, not even the Apostle Paul. You see, God has given you that labor to do, and none can do it better. And we're like David and we look at what's in front of us, the uncircumcised in heart, the ones that have no covenant, they have no God, they have no promises. We serve the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God on our behalf. Why in the world would you fear, Christian? What is there to be afraid of if God is for us? Who can be against us? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why do we fear? I'll tell you one of the reasons we fear. Comfort. It's not so much always what's out there. I'm just afraid of getting uncomfortable. I'm afraid of a loss of relationship. You say, what do you mean, Ron? Well, yesterday, Courtney and Andy came up and brought the kiddos. Abigail's starting to talk quite a bit now. Told me I was weird. Depravity comes in sweet packages, doesn't it?
Got to see some pictures of Kaylee and Tyler and Benjamin and Lily. You don't think that causes some fear? Fear of missing out? Do you have a real true biblical worldview? You know what a biblical worldview is not? It's not just thinking biblically about everything you're going to do. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. A biblical worldview is what is God doing in the world? What is God doing that people will come to Him? There are so many Christians that they look at missions as they don't even understand it. To them, missions is what the modern-day junk has taught us. We're going down for a week to build a well. We're going down to paint a building. Have some fun, pass out some cartoon tracks, and come home and praise God. I'm not saying that there can't be something good out of that. I will tell you this, that's not a missionary. And that is not missions. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. I've been on them. We raise our kids up to serve the Lord, and then they say, I want to go on the mission field, and we, we squawk. Well, that's for other people. Are you raising your children up that God would shoot them forth as an arrow? Out in this world that people in India and China and Ireland and Scotland and Germany or wherever it may be may hear the gospel and come to Christ. Or you just want everybody camped out in your front yard all the time. Do you have a biblical worldview? You bet I don't want to leave my kids. You better believe I don't want to leave my grandkids if that's God's will. There's a part of me that doesn't want to do that. But I know the promises of God that he says, when you do what I tell you to do first, everything else will be better. The relationships, the love. I would much rather leave a legacy to my children and my grandchildren that I followed the Lord even over my children and my grandchildren. He says, you, you, you can't do it. Our response is, I can do it. We're not going to talk about the achievements. David did not bring up the bear and the lion because he was such a wrestler of animals. David brought them up and listen to what David said. I've got to get in the right chapter. David says, The Lord, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. Do you hear that? Where's David giving the credit? The Lord. You see, that because this is the battle of the Lord, David knew he didn't kill a lion or a bear because he was so strong or so good. The Lord delivered me from them, and he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David's weapons. He used a sling and a stone. That's what God had trained David to do. What are your weapons, church? Isn't it funny how we don't want to use the weapons God has given us? I brought this up Wednesday night if you missed it. Politics. You've got to love it, don't you? Well, especially today. I mean, everybody's ready to throw down. I mean, at the drop of a hat, and somebody's usually throwing a hat down on purpose. And how do we want to fight? We're all getting to pack heat now without a license, right? We'll do it that way. That'll win them over. Is that the way God told us to fight? Now, don't misunderstand me. If somebody's attacking me and my family, and i got a gun, I'm probably going to shoot them. Okay? But I'm not talking about that fight. I'm talking about the war, the battle of the Lord. Now, your weapons, church, are these. It is prayer. It is the Word of God. It is fasting. He's given you armor to, to arm yourself with. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the belt of truth. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have, you have a sword of, of, I mean, a, a shield of faith. You have a sword of the, of the Spirit. You've been given these weapons to fight with. You've been given armor to protect yourself with. But that's how the servant of the Lord must go forth and pursue their enemies. 
What happens when people speak evil of you? You just put the shield of faith up. No matter what they say, you're stupid. You're, you people are, are, are that, that, that's false. That's a myth that you believe. You just put the shield of faith up. You, you extinguish all of those flaming arrows that are coming, that are, the enemy is hurling at you. And what, what, are you, what are you doing? You're listening to the commander. You're going forth because Jesus has sent you. And you get on down here. And when we're cursed, we always remember that Jesus became a curse for us. And we are going out just like David. We are going out in the name of the Lord of hosts. That all the earth may know that there is a God who saves sinners. That his name may be made great amongst the nations. You see, Jesus himself has commissioned us to go forth. We are to proclaim the gospel. We are to make disciples to go and to do the same. I mean, you want to know how I know that disciple making in America is not very good? Because you're given two things to do. You're given two things to do. One is preach the gospel. Do you know that most people sitting here have probably not ever shared the gospel once? You start looking out in, the, in what we call Christianity, and almost none have done it. I always love telling people, it's not for everybody to share the gospel. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's me. I said, it's only for believers. So if you're not a believer, it's not for you. But if you're a believer, it's for you. Do you, want, do you want the name of the Lord to be made great amongst the nations? Do you, when George Mueller, when he started the orphanage in England, do you know what his overarching desire for, for doing this orphanage was? It wasn't, it wasn't, the primary thing was not even for the orphans themselves. He saw, he saw a need. Is there not a cause? He saw that. But you know what George's desire was? So that men would know that God hears and answers prayers. You see, God took, I mean, George Mueller took all his prayers to the Lord. He didn't go out and solicit money for the orphanage. He simply went into his study for hours upon hours and days upon days and continually sought the face of the Lord for the needs that they had in the orphanage. He wanted God's name to be made great where he was at. What about you? Do you want God's name to be made great right here in Ada, Oklahoma? Let's start right here. He's commissioned us to go forth to make disciples. And these disciples will be doing the same things. He's given us weapons to fight with. He's given us the armor to put on. And listen... And we know his promises to be true. How do we know that? Because he has given you faith. Even faith. The faith you have, according to Ephesians 2.8, is a gift from God. Do you know that faith is the evidence that you are a believer? Unregenerate men do not have faith inside their self. When you all of a sudden believe who Jesus is, you believe his words, you believe the miracles, you know that you are his because faith. You know his promises are true. And he's promises these things. He's promises that as he sends us out, he says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Have you ever felt like God just wasn't with you? Well, that was just your feeling, and you don't trust your feelings. You always trust what he says. If God says, I'm with you, then he's with you. The next thing is this. He says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So I don't care where he he asks you to go, where he's leading you to go. He is not saying, Paul Wilson, just go on out there. I'm I'm, going to stay up here. No, as he's, listen, he's leading you. If he's leading you, he is there with you. 
And he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And I want you to know this one because I feel like there's many of you here that that doubt this one right here. That he loves you. And he will never take that love from you. And I want you to know this. God cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. So quit trying to earn his love. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you. He can't love you any more than that. So, no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, you need to remember, listen, the battle is the Lord's, and He is the Lord of the battle. Father, this morning I want to come before you, and I want to thank you, God, for all that you're doing in our life. I'm probably just preaching to myself today, Lord, but I pray, God, that as, this, as your word went forth, I pray that it would penetrate the hearts and the minds, God, that we would meditate, we would think deeply about these things, these truths. You have fought the battle, and it is already won, and you have sent us out to bring in those that are yours, Lord. God, let us have the biblical worldview. Let us, let us see things through your eyes. That we're here for a short time. And that little dash between the dates of our birth and our death, that's what's going to matter. God, help us to use our life right now for your glory, for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.